Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds, a great app from an established company that's been providing payroll services for over 30 years in all 50 states. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, OnPay, later in the episode. Underfunding the IRS, right? What's the purpose of that? That's been happening because it helps people avoid taxes or evade taxes, right? If the IRS is underfunded, you can take super aggressive positions as a business owner. You know, it's pretty clear that is what the strategy has been. Let's underfund the IRS. Let's make the auditors weak. And then we can do whatever we want. And they're not going to question it. Or if they do, we'll beat them in tax court. This is all created, right? This didn't just happen. It didn't happen on purpose, but it happened because of uh, bad actors. Yeah, maybe we should. We could have put the death of the IRS as one of our predictions for this year. We, we blew it. This might be the most obvious thing in our face right now. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Today is Monday, January 17th. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. Well, David, we're recording on MLK Day. I have to admit, I haven't done my usual homework. So it might just be me reading like headlines and then trying to guess what's in the article. That, that could be fun. Or we could, I, I have another article of, this is a, the same author, back-to-back weeks in Parade Magazine. Now it's tax jokes. So it's 58 accounting and tax jokes. So you could just tell 58 accounting tax jokes and that would fill up the whole episode? We could do that. And I apologize. My voice is a little uh, raspy. I've been at volleyball tournament cheering all weekend and then had to cheer for the Buffalo Bills on Saturday night. How did they do? I didn't watch. Uh, The greatest offensive performance of all time. Wow. It was very impressive. Wow. As in a perfect game, like no punts, no turnovers, no fourth downs. So when you say greatest offensive performance, you mean like in the game of football or for the Bills? Well, probably not college because college is... Ridiculous, but pro football, yes, probably wow. greatest performance in fifty or sixty years. That's amazing. I'd have to. I'll have to go back and check it out. You can watch the highlights. Yeah, we'll, we'll, okay. we'll get you on the highlight train for that. You have to teach me this. You know, I need to understand better. But because of that, it ties into like watching all this NFL. Guess who's big sponsors of the NFL? TurboTax. TurboTax. Intuit and TurboTax are huge sponsors of all the NFL games, and then you see some H and R Block ads on the TV too. Earlier this week, I marked the article because there was an article in Accounting Today about how the IRS is opening up the free file program. Yeah, and they've opened up, they're going to open up filing for all returns pretty soon. So the free file program, so every year it changes a little bit. So this year, it's any taxpayers that earn less than $73,000 can file their returns for free. And if you remember, Intuit and HR Block got bad press and they wound up dropping out this year. So the Mm. remaining companies, you have 1040now.net, easytaxreturn.com, freetaxreturn.com, Inc., fileyourtaxes.com, freetaxusa, online taxes at olt.com, tax act, and tax slayer. So remember, H&R Block and Intuit dropped out. So I'm watching commercials all weekend, and all the commercials for TurboTax and H&R Block are about filing your taxes for free. Right. I thought they weren't doing this anymore. I'm so confused. The cost of the actual federal return, even on the paid products, is zero or close to zero. And where they get you is with all the upsells, the states, if you had business income or you need to do some form that's not included in the free edition, then they get you up to you know 100 bucks or something like that. And so what's those. interesting is with the TurboTax ads, they're advertising how you can do TurboTax live for free, have somebody else do your taxes for free. Really? Yes. Wow. Because there's two levels of TurboTax Live. There's kind of a somebody helping you along the way, and then there's flat out full service. You just punt it over the wall, and they do everything for you. Well, so the the full service thing. I mean, th- there's got to be upsells in there. There's no way you could offer that for free. This is what's interesting. Both websites, to be honest, are HR Block like just duplicates the QuickBooks one with the same mm-hmm. words and everything, like deluxe, premium, self employed. They're both using this similar verbiage here called simple returns. Intuit has something called simple tax returns only. So so I'm on their website. Mm -hmm. If I click this, it's like a help file. It's kind of defining what that is. Uh, Simple return is a 1040 only. So as soon as you have a secondary form, obviously you can't do this. W-2 income, limited interest, you know, like 1099 or 1099 div, claim the standard deduction, earned income tax credit, child tax credit, student loan deduction. And then I'll list all the things that aren't covered. But they have a paragraph in here about how does TurboTax make money? And I'm surprised they just put this in there because it's not like this is an FAQ. This is just trying to find out what is simple tax returns. 
And it says, customers with more complex tax situations will file our paid TurboTax products that provide all the additional forms guidance they need. We also offer additional benefits that go beyond filing your taxes, but they are optional and not required to file simple taxes for free. We hope that over time, as our customers with simple returns and need more capabilities, as their financial situations change, for example, owning a home, having a child, they'll have loved our products and services so much they'll choose our paid TurboTax offerings and prepare to file returns. Now, it's funny, that's very marketing, but it's also kind of true, right? Mm-hmm. If people get used to using TurboTax two, three years in a row for free, they're probably going to be willing to pay for it. But we'll see how this goes. I was really trying to digest simple return a little bit. As a tax preparer in your office, when you're marketing, like how do you market against this word simple tax return? Because you don't want to bring those into your office, right? A lot of preparers don't want those. Well, yeah. I mean, most CPAs don't even want to do 1040s anymore. I know that. That's the chatter. Everyone just wants the business returns because that's where the money's at. And you do the 1040s if you have to uh, for the business owners and maybe their relatives. The thing is like most individual tax for most people is really, really simple and they could use the free file program. And it's just a matter of putting in a few forms and like Elon Musk said. Yeah. That's when I saw the simple tax return, I was like, Elon could use the free one. (laughs) If all you've got is W2 and maybe a few, you know, sales of investments, like it's not complicated. Maybe a little bit of capital gains or something, but now it does also look like Intuit is doing surge pricing on TurboTax this year, in a way. Yeah, and, 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 and obviously it's extreme surge pricing. But we've talked about this on the show. Like those people that come in in April, you charge them more than the people that come in in January. Well, you should. I don't think right. most firms do. So they're offering the full service TurboTax for free, but you have to do it. Your return has to be filed by February fifteenth. So that's the full service for free. Mm. To do this, the free where you do it yourself. See, that's smart. That's March 31st. So now they're doing free for a point, but now they can, in a way, like it's very black and white, the deadline, right? If it's deadline based. So here's what's brilliant about this. You said that the full service is free for some filers up till when do they have to do it? February 15th. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense because what happens most of the time, people wait until the last minute. Now with a full service offering... That doesn't work for you because you have capacity limitations. You only have so many people you've hired that can help. What do you have a lot of? You have a lot of those people's time in January and in February. If you don't look at it from an hourly basis, like an accounting firm would, and you just look at it as a capacity planning issue, it doesn't hurt you to give away that stuff for free in February when you wouldn't be busy anyway. Or do it for a little bit cheaper or whatever it is. Yeah, to try to shift your weight or uh, the yeah, load. It, Consider it a marketing expense if you have to. This is what accounting firms miss out. When you think on an hourly basis and you think, I have to get this kind of utilization and realization per hour on all the work I do, what you're forgetting is that you have all these fixed costs, which are all these full-time people you hired. And if they're not busy, you might as well give a discount or you might as well do work that has a lower hourly rate or you might as well just give it away for free in order to build loyalty and get more customers later. And a company like Intuit understands this. And so that's why they're doing this. I think most accounting firms should do this too, like at least have surge pricing, like you said. So earlier in the season, the rate is lower. And then as you get closer to the deadline, it goes up dramatically. And it'll help you iron out your capacity problem. From an Intuit perspective, right? It's much easier to have a conversation with somebody that that's like, oh, I thought TurboTax was free. Well, that was only until March 31st. Yeah, exactly. Right. exactly. <laughs> it's very black and white. Yeah, you don't... yeah, yeah. The average person doesn't know simple return or why they have the secondary form. <laughs> they just know that's their taxes. Somebody else is getting into the tax prep game, the online do-it-yourself game, Jackson Hewitt Tax Services, and they are trying to offer something very competitive. It's a $25 flat fee for online tax filing for do-it-yourself filers. I think everybody has seen Jackson Hewitt offices somewhere. You know, it's like H&R Block, right? They haven't had, I, I haven't heard of them having an online option, but now they do. For 25 bucks, you can get the do-it-yourself. You can lock it in for the next three years. There's live chat customer support, auto import of W-2 information, along with a fully guided option. That's probably actually going to be cheaper in the end for most people, I imagine. Because I think most people, once they actually realize they have to not use the free version of TurboTax or whatever they end up paying more than 25 bucks, right? So, so they're trying to get people to commit for three years. Yeah, yeah. That's actually smart because in the way like with TurboTax, right, it just sucks your data from the previous year's return. Right. It's in your best interest to get people to return every year. So if you can get them committed for four years, 
you can scale this even yeah. better, right? So much data is repeat data. Yeah. And now, something that's interesting is there's going to be a lot of people this year who think that they're going to get the free edition of TurboTax or whatever, but they end up not because they've got additional forms they have to file. And that's going to be because their side gig is finally getting taxed. The IRS is targeting transactions over $600 on sites such as Venmo, Etsy, and Airbnb. We talked about this a few episodes ago. It's very headline grabbing, right? It scares everybody to death. And I just saw somebody pose a question about this, which kind of is very confusing. So a college student pays his parents $1,000 for auto insurance or vice versa. Like, is that going to show up on somebody's Venmo somewhere? Like, how did, like, how is this being decided when it's a business or not? I know on PayPal, when you send money to somebody, you choose whether it's personal or for goods and services. And that is, I assume, what determines whether or not the recipient will get the 1099. But everybody's smart. Everybody chooses goods and services to avoid the fees. They choose personal to avoid personal, the fees. Personal, yes, to yeah. avoid all the fees. But if they don't, or if somebody owns a business, if you register as a business, they're going to send you the form no matter what. So it's going to be tricky. I think that, that this will actually be a big issue for these 1040 return preparers is, oh no, now I finally got a, a 1099 for this money on this side hustle I have. You know, it's not going over oh, well. that's right. Because 1099, as soon as you have a 1099 MISC, you're not part of a uh, simple tax return anymore. Exactly. You're right. right. You've got that's a schedule C. going to push everybody out of this. Right. So it's going to be a huge moneymaker for uh, TurboTax. It's not going over well. Because I saw one tweet out there that was excellent. It said, uh, Democrats wanted to uh, tax the rich, and instead they're taxing all of our side hustles. This is what came out of the you know, legislation, the infrastructure. I think this, this was the only the thing that's passed, basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, we wanted them to tax the rich. Instead, they taxed, they taxed us. What else do we got about tax season? I have crazy numbers about the IRS. Okay, well, I'll let you get to that. But first, I just want to say, you know, the start of tax season is officially... Uh, on the calendar, the IRS will start accepting tax returns on January 24th, 2022. What were you going to say, David? Uh, the IRS added new members to their advisory council. Oh, yeah, I saw and that. Our good, close, personal friend and fan of the show, Amanda Aguilard. Amanda she, Aguilard. How many people are on this advisory council? It, I've never it, heard of this. It's a three-year term. Now, I don't know if this is the entire thing or just the nine new people. It's not really clear. Hey, we'll take it. She should spread the word of the Cloud Academy podcast while she's there. Yeah. Well, now if you know Amanda Aguilard or you follow her on Twitter, you can complain personally to her about I, the IRS As soon as she announced it, I asked her where my 2020 return was. Can she check on the status? Well, and that's a big problem. There have been stories all this week about how the AICPA is concerned about the IRS bottleneck ahead of tax season. It's not good. There was a report from the uh, auditor of the IRS, the uh, inspector general. Sorry, not the inspector general. It was the taxpayer advocate at the IRS. That's so a similar article I have with some crazy numbers in there we can go through. Yeah. Do you have the numbers handy? Yeah. The numbers are just really crazy. Start reading them. So the IRS started 2021 with more than 11.7 million tax returns from 2020. 11.7 from the previous year. From the Still previous year. unprocessed. It took until June of 2021 to get through the 2019 returns. Okay. And then as of mid-December... The IRS had millions of items to address, including 6 million unprocessed individual returns, 2.8 million unprocessed business returns, a combined more than 2.8 million unprocessed amended individual and business returns, and approximately 4.75 million pieces of correspondence. So they're running like, what, six months to a year behind? Eight to 12 months, yeah. Or longer, right? Because you said it took them until June of 2020 to finish processing all the 2019 returns. No, 2021. Wow. Okay. So which would make sense because 2019 returns would be sent in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're just way behind. The numbers aren't going to get any better because I don't know if you knew this, the number of taxpayers they're servicing now has increased 19% since 2010. Yeah. Everything has gone up. The number of returns, number of taxpayers, and what has gone down, the number of people working at the IRS and the IRS budget. And then on top of that, obviously the tax credit payments and stimulus, all this other stuff they got on their plate. And then I thought I saw an article that they're getting hit with COVID right now, which actually might be good because it's a little early in the tax season. Like if you're going to get hit IRS, get hit now. Well, I guess in, well, so what the current COVID wave, at least here in Arizona, looks like it's going to be over kind of like done with mid-February and then really done mid-March. But like that doesn't give them a lot of time to get back in action. 
and ready to go. It's just terrible. IRS got hit really hard because so much of their stuff is on paper. They still process a ton of paper returns. They open a ton of paper mail. They have to be physically in the office to get a lot of stuff done. What's interesting about all this is that the e-filed returns that don't have exceptions where everything lines up, they don't get pulled out of the queue for having to deal with manually, those have all been fine. So as long as you're e-filing and you don't have any issues that crop up on the return with like a difference of information reporting or whatever, you've been getting your refunds. It's all the people where they filed paper or they had a discrepancy, something didn't match up with the IRS systems and it got pulled out to be handled manually. Those are all you know, in purgatory forever. It's bad. The, the taxpayer advocate says, quote, the IRS is in crisis. That's a quote. I am deeply concerned about the upcoming filing season. That's Aaron Collins, national taxpayer advocate. Paper is the IRS's kryptonite and the agency is still buried in it. And this is what doesn't make any sense because they obviously, I think the article I saw, it's like 340 million refunds have been issued from electronic filing, blah, blah, blah. The, the returns that are filed electronically are being dealt with. So why is the IRS, when you go to irs.gov, where's the link to the free fact tax file? Like, where's the encouraging you to, I mean, it's kind of on there, but it's not the headline. No, no. I, I'm sure that updating the website isn't exactly there. Well, they have a banner ad for things right like helping people understand and meet their tax responsibilities with two smiling people, you know, some generic clip art. They should be pushing people to use all the free files and actually the people that are charging. It's just more efficient for them. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by FreshBooks. Recently, I chatted with Twyla Verhelst, director of the accountant channel over at FreshBooks, because I wanted to see what they've been up to. For those who don't know, FreshBooks was the first accounting software I used as a freelance bookkeeper back in 2011, so I've been really curious to see what's new. Turns out, a few years ago, FreshBooks launched a new platform that is now more than just invoicing. FreshBooks is now a full general ledger with financial reports, bank feeds, and journal entries. FreshBooks also has your favorite app integrations, even some embedded ones like Gusto for payroll. And with the launch of their new accounting partner program, Twyla and the FreshBooks team are creating a platform and a partner experience that's showcasing that they're really listening to our feedback. If you want to learn about the benefits of working better together with FreshBooks, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash FreshBooks. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash F-R-E-S-H-B-O-O-K-S. The AICPA got together with some other accounting groups, a bunch of them, and they wrote a letter. Oh, boy. The, the letters always work. <laughs> and so what they're asking for, if I could summarize it, is basically AICPA and this, this group are asking for the IRS to stop issuing the automatic penalty notices, like all these automated notices that they churn out, they're asking them to stop and stop the automatic penalties because there's too much of a lag between when they issue those and what's happened and they haven't processed returns they've got and they're issuing penalties for things where they haven't processed the payment and all this stuff, right? It just creates this giant fiasco. And I think that's good. Yeah, it creates more more churn, right? More more inquiries that don't get answered. Right. But that's just like a temporary fix. That's just a Band-Aid on the problem. Like where's the leadership saying, here is the solution. Here is how we actually get the IRS out of this mess. What do we need to do? I don't see anybody with a plan for how this doesn't keep happening year after year after year. I guess COVID goes away and that'll help a little bit, but you can see in the, in the numbers, CPA trend lines put up a really nice chart showing here's the IRS budget and headcount going down, and here's the number of returns and number of taxpayers going up every year. And we know that the tech is bad, and the thing that annoys me about this, right, is like, here's the headline, AICPA CEO Melanson concerned about IRS bottleneck ahead of tax season. This is a problem that didn't just happen because of COVID. COVID was the straw that broke the camel's back. This is a problem that has developed over years, decades. If experts, the AICPA, the tax advocate, are saying the IRS is in crisis, we're probably leading indicators, I think, right? of this. When's it going to really break to where the average American is realizing they're impacted by this? Like it's going to get worse. Like, like there's no sign that's going to get better, So, which means it's just going to get worse. But like at what point does it really break? 
well, this tax season could be it. I mean, so many people are not going to get their refund because there's some discrepancy between the advanced childcare tax credit, you know, the money we've been getting in our accounts every yes. month, right? So if you don't report that number exactly on your return to calculate what you are owed or what you you have to pay back, that's going to be an exception. And that return is not going to get processed and that refund is not going to get processed. And you're going to have millions of people who screw that up. All those letters they've been sending you during the year about the child tax credit and how much they're going to give you. And yeah. apparently you should have been saving all of those because you need all the dates. Right. <laughs> but nobody's saving those. Like nobody knew to save those. They didn't say like, keep this for your records. I think I've got like five of those letters in different drawers in my house. I, I don't know. I'm an accountant. I don't know where they are. They're like uh, Bed Bath & Beyond coupons. <laughs> Average taxpayer is not going to be able to do this. Yeah. So maybe that'll be the disaster. I don't know that gets political will to fix this problem. But somebody's going to get fired. Well, what they need to do is like it's it's not just like punish, it's invest. We say this over and over again, David, but I feel like we have to keep saying it because I don't feel like enough people are saying this. The IRS is the revenue generating arm of the US federal government. It is like in a private company, it's your sales team. Yeah. You invest in that, right? You want those people to be driving nice cars. You want those people to be happy. They bring in the revenue. And right now, you know, they're driving like a Pinto, Ford Pinto. So where do we go from here? Are David? we gonna see some crazy privatization of this? Is there gonna be a push for that? Privatize the IRS? Like like the prison systems and all this other stuff where there's things that actually make sense to be ran by well, the government get it, privatized. All tax return processing's gonna be outsourced. So here in Arizona, something that I really liked when I moved from California is the DMV is like semi-privatized here. You can go to an official DMV to get your license and your registration and all that. But then there's also private companies that run offices that plug into the Arizona DMV systems and you can go and pay there to get service. And it's great. Like I'm happy to pay for that. So if there were a way where, you know, the the IRS could let everyone just like we just build a system for all this stuff and just everyone could plug into it. That's what really you need is you need like a centralized database that we can all just plug into to do these tax returns. We don't need the IRS processing paper returns. That's their weakness. Just a, just a thought. But maybe there's a side of the population that likes this because the IRS is too busy. They're never going to get to your return. They don't know if what you put on is real or not. By the time they get to it, it's too late. Underfunding the IRS, right? What's the purpose of that? That's been happening because it helps people avoid taxes or evade taxes, right? If the IRS is underfunded, you can take super aggressive positions as a business owner. You know, it's pretty clear that is what the strategy has been. Let's underfund the IRS. Let's make the auditors weak. And then we can do whatever we want. And they're not going to question it. Or if they do, we'll beat them in tax court. This is all created, right? This didn't just happen. It didn't happen on purpose, but it happened because of uh, bad actors. Yeah, maybe we should, We could have put the death of the IRS as one of our predictions for this year. We, we blew it. This might be the most obvious thing in our face right now. All right, where do we go from here? I only have app news and then another metaverse-related accounting firm story, I guess. I think we had some listener mail, and I want to get to that. Perfect. All right, we got an email from David. This was You're welcome. Back at, I sent this to the show. <laughs> <laughs> back at the very not not David Leary, different David. Uh, this was back at the very end of the year, December 31st. Hello, Blake and David. I started listening to your cloud accounting podcast shortly after starting DePaul's Master of Accountancy program in June. I live in southeastern Illinois, equidistant from Evansville, Indiana, and Marion, Illinois. I appreciate your show, especially the app news. Are you aware that an Illinois law becomes effective January 1st, 2023, that reduces educational hours required from 150 to 120? In the latest episode, the situation of a non-CPA partner having to have 150 hours was discussed. I wonder how this new Illinois law might impact this situation. So that's really cool. Like, I was not aware of this. Were you aware of this? No, I was not. So Illinois, which has been leading the way in terms of talking about the issue with recruitment into the profession, the, the society there has been doing a lot on that and did a great survey. That They're leading the way here with this, reducing the educational hours. I think this is a good step. This yeah, is they great. They communicate this very well because like, you know, they always had their Midwest accounting show, which I go to. So I'm, I think I'm on their mailing list for the Illinois CPAs. Yeah, This is very quietly shoved under the carpet here. Here's his second comment. There was an article in the last six months that mentioned CPA liability premium rates are rising because of cybersecurity risks. 
I understand smaller firms may not need a dedicated IT department, but the functions performed to mitigate risk and ensure data security and availability still have to be done. I was disappointed by comments in a recent podcast that seemed to imply the IT department was unnecessary. Information protection is a 24-7 job that requires everyone's participation. No software service or data center is 100% secure, including SaaS. Defense in-depth practices, data backups, encryption, and continuity of operations plans are necessary tools in the data protection war for any size business. So, David, on that point, so this is regarding this uh, article in the Wall Street Journal. It was an opinion piece by a guy who's uh, spent a career in IT saying, it's time to kill the IT department. Like The IT department is what's holding back a lot of companies in corporate America. When I said I agree with that, I didn't mean that I think that we shouldn't have cybersecurity. And actually, I think that's the perfect role for the IT department is to focus on cybersecurity. And I would even change the IT department to being the cybersecurity department. What I don't like is when technology decisions are made in a centralized- when the IT department picks the ERP and the yes. timesheet app you use and the expense application you use. Yeah. That was actually my main frustration working at a large accounting firm was- I couldn't make my own technology decisions. I had no, I didn't even get really input. And it was a IT department in a different office that got to crush my dreams, right? When it came to technology. I think basically IT departments are just not well positioned to handle operational technology. Those decisions should be made elsewhere. And so it'd be better to embed IT people inside of operational teams, put them with the people delivering the service. So in an accounting firm, instead of having all your IT people centralized, you would actually have a tech person who you embed in a particular office or a particular team. And then that person helps you set up the tech, manage the tech. And yes, there's got to be some coordination between all the different teams in the business as to like, we got to use common systems and stuff. But I think distributing it that way would be better. I think I saw an article around the same time. It was a little bit about the, kind of making an argument against IT and the argument of no code. In this world where people need data, they need to solve a problem. Nobody has time to wait for their central IT department to either A, get approved for an app, get a report generated, some data pulled. Mm -hmm. They're just going to build the apps and connect the data pipes themselves in this no-code world. And it kind of is another argument against having this centralized IT department. Right yep. now, yes, you could argue for the actual hardware. They should be they should making sure the network works and doesn't crash, right. not, not what software an employee uses on their computer. Exactly. We got another email. This one's from Dan Luthi. This is quite... A lengthy message, so I'm going to condense it a bit, Dan. I hope you don't mind. Dan said, I wanted to let you both know that I have enjoyed taking the past week off after finishing up my Master's of Accounting program and catching up on the last two months of episodes, along with a thousand other things while the world winds down. This also was toward the end of last year. At this time, I don't require a master's degree or a CPA accreditation. They don't apply to the core role and focus and training to further my career. But alas, clients appreciate the accreditation and respect the education and expertise. Often I find that some clients will even take the words of a less knowledgeable CPA due to their accreditation versus myself or others who have superior experience and knowledge. All that being said, I believe it still carries weight and value even in the evolving industry. The marker has not evolved outside of the accolade yet, nor should we. Most classes and professors were exactly as you describe in your podcast, focused on their reputation and their percent of CPA exam completion, and not much more. I did, however, have two professors that pushed the envelope. That being said, I chose an entirely virtual slash online program through a state school, Southern Utah University. Jeff Orton and Jonathan Lee took a different approach. Orton taught audit and forensic accounting courses, and Lee taught tax courses. They both taught the core items needed for exam prep, utilizing exam prep software such as Glime and Becker to help aid with the familiarity of the exams themselves. In addition, they added layers of coursework that gave real-world experience and pushed the envelope on what a student really would want to do if they were just there for exam prep. After completing my final course in audit, Orton and I passed a few emails back and forth, and I felt his email summed up so much of what is missing from our educational system and preparation phases. Orton, quote, there's a lot in this course, but you hit the nail on the head. My entire goal in this class is to close the gap between school and the profession. I remember starting my job as a staff auditor after graduation, wondering why I went to school since everything seemed brand new. 
Regardless of what university they attended, my entire start group felt the same way. A few years into working at the firm, I started helping our training and development team with new hires and senior training. Our discussions slash goals were always about getting our new hires up to speed as quickly and effectively as possible. Firms spend so much time and money onboarding staff, which shouldn't be needed as much as it is. It was a tough challenge to face, but we did our best. I tried to pattern the Audit 1 course in the undergrad after what we developed there at the firm for new hire training for interns and first-year staff, then have Audit 2 review some of that and expand to some of what they'll do as a second or third year slash senior staff. We don't have enough time in a semester to get into everything a new hire will need, and those needs will vary a lot depending on firm size, etc. Still, the goal was to close that gap at least a little, as much as I could, by giving you as much experience as I could in the actual hands-on work papers and visual programs, then some of the theory starts to make more sense and falls into place. We'll keep tweaking and modifying as tech and procedures change. Many people tell me all they want is CPA prep in their education and nothing else, but you and I know that approach doesn't help prepare students to be influential professionals. I'd instead prepare you to be promoted, then let Becker and the other study materials help you pass the CPA exam, since students will need to do those anyway. Hopefully, we'll close the gap so firms can spend less on basic training and more on specialized training and their core purpose of serving client needs, unquote. And Dan continues, and he says he got firsthand experience with idea data analytics software, with MindBridge, working through complete tax preparation with work papers and parts of an audit. It's really amazing. So this program that basically Dan is writing this amazing review of uh, is Southern Utah University's virtual slash online program. So there's an option out there that gives you real world experience. So thank you, Dan, for writing in and telling us so much about that. I'm really excited to hear about it. That's going to save people time and money. You know, this is this is so great because, you know, I'm sure there's people listening and maybe your local college or university doesn't have a great accounting program and it's hard to find a good online one because you don't really know what to expect. This is a review from one of our listeners. So if you're looking for a program, go check it out. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. If you're wondering why OnPay is great, it's because it was built by payroll experts with over 30 years of payroll experience. They handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. Even while handling all the complicated stuff, OnPay remains an easy-to-use, full-service payroll and HR app that is the right fit for all of your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. It helps them stay organized, save time, and get compliant. OnPay has flexible and customizable integrations with QuickBooks and Xero. OnPay's partner program offers free payroll for your firm, discounts, and special bonuses for moving clients to OnPay for 2022. The program also offers a dedicated support team to offer white glove service to both you and your clients. To learn more about offering your clients the award-winning OnPay payroll and HR, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash OnPay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. OnPay. Nobody takes better care of your clients. So David, you have app news. We have app news. Let's get to it. So you just said that you told people to check out that accounting program? Mm-hmm. Well, checkout.com, they just announced that they raised a billion dollars. Checkout.com. Checkout.com is... um. Basically, kind of like Stripe, it's an online website. You buy something online and you pay online. Mm-hmm. The difference is they're 100% enterprise-focused. So they're really carving out a niche with just the measly 1,800 customers that are all so, – so Stripe has millions and millions and millions of customers. They only have 1,800, but they are way up market. They've kind of covered out a niche they're really specialized in. They can do um, international payments really well, multiple countries, geos, um, but their customers are Netflix, Grab, FinTech Unicorns like Klarna, Revolut, World Remit. And then they're even working in the Coinbase, Crypto.com, FTX, and MoonPay. So if you're doing any type of checkout, I, I keep wanting to say point of sale, but online checkout, you could be using them if it's any of these big, big players. Wow. A billion dollars. That's crazy. Shows you just how much money there is in enterprise software. I got blockchain news. That counts as tech, right? Yeah. Uh, Coinbase has bought crypto futures platform FairX. FairX lists futures contracts that track markets, including stock indices and oil. 
This comes four months after Coinbase applied for membership in the National Futures Association, a top derivatives self-regulatory organization in the United States. Coinbase is the second largest in spot trading volume in cryptocurrencies now, behind Binance. Is it Binance? Binance? I've never actually said it out loud, so I don't know. Their 24-hour trading volume is $3.8 billion. That's Coinbase, according to CoinMarketCap. But the trading volume of crypto derivatives now exceeds spot trading, reaching $2.9 trillion in December. This is according to CFO Magazine, or CFO.com, I should say. Whenever I hear the word derivatives, the first thing I think of, of course, given you know my age, is mortgage-backed securities. This, to me, is a sign that Coinbase is going to release derivatives and allow us to gamble on cryptocurrencies. You know, sort of like Robinhood, right? Made it easy to gamble on the stock market with its leveraged, what do you call it? You know, when you lever up and you buy stock. Options. And and- options, right, yeah. If you thought that cryptocurrency markets were crazy now, just wait until this comes and people can you know, make 10x bets and YOLO on crypto with Coinbase. If you checkmarked that box, yes, I've done crypto, does that now mean you do not have a simple return? I don't know. Probably. I feel like simple returns have to be extremely in the box. Like a high school kid with just a W-2 and that's it. Yeah. It's like if you do anything outside, you know, W-2, then if you have anything outside of like a regular just employment job, you're going to end up paying something most of the time. So GoFundMe, you're familiar with GoFundMe? Yeah. It's uh, what everybody uses to like raise money for, they get sued, they raise money. Somebody dies, they raise money. Their house burns down, they didn't have insurance. It's some of that, and sometimes it's legit nonprofit type stuff. I'm not saying that stuff's not legit. I'm just like, it's a platform, right, for raising money. Mm-hmm. They purchased another company called Classy. And Classy's uh, spaces, they are donor management for nonprofits. But they also kind of help on the marketing side a little bit. It feels like a little CRM-ish as well. Mm-hmm. But it's really that step of, here's GoFundMe, now stepping into, they're not in the full-blown bookkeeping, but donor management software is that next step. If it pumps out reports, it's taking that next step towards, you know, you could argue donor management software is a little bit like accounting software. What's interesting, the two of these companies together took in $5 billion in donations in 2021. Lots of money is moving through this platform. They do uh, intend to operate this as two separate entities, but they'll be obviously rolled into, one will be a subsidiary of GoFundMe, Classywell. Tax leaders are looking for better tech skills. That's the headline in accounting today. Ernst & Young did a survey. They polled 1,650 tax and finance leaders in over 40 countries and found that 84% of the respondents plan to adapt their tax and finance functions over the next two years thanks to challenges related to talent, regulation, and technology. Most of the respondents, 95%, see a need for improved data and technology skills among their people. Who are those 5%? The 5% are like, we're fine using the paper ledgers. We're just going to keep doing that until we die. That's my guess. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by LiveFlow. Have you ever exported a QuickBooks online report to a Google Sheet? spend time customizing the sheet, invited others to collaborate, then discover that the QuickBooks online data has changed, forcing you to restart the whole entire process over again? An app has solved this problem, introducing LiveFlow. LiveFlow connects QuickBooks online directly to Google Sheets, allowing you to save sheets that automatically update with the most recent QuickBooks data. Accountants are using LiveFlow today to create automatically updating budget versus actual reports and consolidated reports. Yes, consolidated reports. You can connect one Google Sheet to multiple QuickBooks Online companies. My favorite feature of LiveFlow is how deeply it connects back to QuickBooks Online. If I drill down on a summary number in the Google Sheet, LiveFlow will open a new browser tab with the QuickBooks Online transaction detail report showing me the transactions that made up that number in LiveFlow. To learn more about using LiveFlow and how you can save 25% off your first three months, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash LiveFlow. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash L-I-V-E-F-L-O-W. We have some Canadian app news. I got two Canadian stories. Let's hear it. So Jobber is, um, you know, lawn mowing businesses, snow blowing, driveway. What are these terms that we don't understand in Arizona? They bulldoze the snow off your driveway in the winter? 
home services type things, pool cleaners, like those types of field service type things. Wait, what are you talking about, David? So you're telling me that in some parts of the country, you have to somebody comes and scrapes the snow off your driveway so you can pull out. Oh boy! Wow, I can't even imagine what that must be like. It's like a bulldozer, but it's not. It's like a truck with a thing in the front. Are I saw really snow cool. Bowlers? What are those called? Snow, snow. Oh man, we like stupid. Well, there was a whole Simpsons episode where he becomes one of those guys who like ride, drives the truck that has the plow. The plow, 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 plow driveway plows. Yeah. There we go. Thank you. It's one of my. It's one of the best uh, Simpsons episodes. The snow plow, Mr. Plow, I think was it. Simpsons, Mr. Plow. Noted. Anyway, so Jobber just raised seventy-six million dollars, sixty million U.S. to continue their growth and scale. They currently have a hundred thousand home service professionals across 47 countries. I didn't know they were outside of North America, but yeah, apparently they have people in 47 countries now and they plan to use the money to grow and they want to hire, they currently have 250 employees. They want to hire 200 over the next year. Congratulations to Jobber. And then the other big Canadian news is WagePoint. Are you familiar with WagePoint? HR? I think it's really payroll, payroll, strictly payroll. What's interesting about WagePoint is they're one of the only apps, one of the first apps that could do Canada and the US both. Because there's a lot of times you're like, okay, great, I can use Gusto here in the States, but if I have a client in Canada, I got to find some other app. Right. Right. And so now WagePoint can do both. WagePoint's just been slowly, they're almost a decade old. They've been just slowly chugging along. A lot of people that use them really like them. For Canadian payroll, I think WagePoint's part of the thing for Intuit's thing. I think WagePoint's part of KPMG's. It's not called Spark in Canada. It's called Finance One or something like that. But I think WagePoint's part of that tech stack with QuickBooks and Zero. So WagePoint has some traction there. But they just bought now a timesheet app called Timesheet Mobile, TSM, who apparently is a geofence-enabled workforce management. They're in over 30 countries. So it kind of you know makes sense, right? Payroll should own a timesheet app. The IMA is going to start offering remote testing for certified management accountant and CSCA exams. When I saw this, I thought, what does this mean? Well, I was just saying in my brain, I'm like, well, what about the last 24 months? <laughs> What's happened? Well, so you've had to go to Prometric, and Prometric has had major issues, obviously, because of the pandemic, depending on where they are, and the they were shut down completely. This is exacerbating the talent pipeline problem, which is people can't even get their exams done. So a lot of it's been on hold. So I looked into this, and you're going to actually be able to sit for your CMA exam at home like in your own house, which, you know, I love innovation, but I'm having a hard time imagining how you can possibly ensure that people aren't cheating. Anyone who's taken a test at a Prometric Center knows, at least the ones I went to, they're pretty strict. They check your pockets. You have to like lift up different articles of clothing. You have to, they've got cameras everywhere. The computers are all locked down. Okay. So it's extremely different than your home environment. I right. See where you're coming from. Now you're going to have the choice. You can do either in-person at a Prometric test center, or you can do it remotely using Prometric's Pro Proctor service. So this is a new service offered by Prometric. The exam fee is going to be the same for both in-person and remote testing. It's like the way it works, apparently, is sort of how... Have you ever done one of those um, online notary services? You basically do it through... You sign an online mortgage and somebody comes to your house? Well, no, but I mean, so now you can do like a notary where it's just a Zoom call. Oh, it's like a virtual notary type thing. Yeah, and you hold up your ID and they like do all that stuff virtually. There's some states that allow this. So like that's this is kind of reminds me of that the proctor is on your webcam. Supposedly like you have to leave your webcam on, your microphone on, but I'm wondering like wouldn't it be still really easy to cheat because like you just have something like slightly out of view? <laughs> right? And at this point though, anybody taking this test is probably done online exams like this for the last yeah. two years in school. Everybody's pretty good at it. And the ones that are going to cheat are going to cheat. So maybe they've, they've kind of just like, it's a pointless argument. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe there's a way to do this. You know, you could use AI, right? If you've got the webcam on you, like you're taking this on your laptop, right? The webcam's on. So it's looking at your face. And if, if somebody's like side-eyeing something on their desk, you could identify that behavior and flag them. And then the proctor could get on and say, all right, show me your work area. But you just put a big, huge monitor behind the monitor you're looking at, and then nobody <laughs> knows. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff they have to figure out, but it's kind of neat. And I would hope the CPA exam would eventually do this if it ends up being you know, actually secure. I don't know. Maybe another solution is the exams are just so time-constrained anyway that it's kind of hard to cheat, right? Like You don't have time to look anything up. You have to know it. So that's another way that you can 
or another reason why it's you shouldn't have to go to a Prometrics testing center. But anyway, I thought it was cool. So it's called Prometric Pro Proctor. You can check it out at Prometric.com slash Pro Proctor. Yeah, and they, they say they use AI-powered anomaly detection. Do we have anything else? I don't have... This is not app news. This is just more of every week's another ridiculous metaverse kind of story. Oh, yes, please. I love the metaverse okay. now. It's my favorite thing. Well, this time it's Deloitte. So Deloitte is launching Unlimited Reality, an experience and impact offering for virtual worlds. Tell me more. Part of this is they have a studio, and the studio is called Dimension 10 Studio, which will provide both a physical and virtual destination an innovation space where Deloitte professionals and clients can develop and test breakthrough capabilities that leverage virtual worlds powered by enabling technologies, AI, blockchain, IoT, AR, VR, 5G, that requires the most advanced computational infrastructure and skills. The studio's name is in reference to the 10th dimension. In theoretical physics, the 10th and final dimension captures the unlimited possibility of the universe in a single point, much like the promise of virtual worlds do for clients. And then it just goes on and on and on. <laughs> like, like it, this is a crazy press release. It just goes on. It has all the keywords. I mean, they're, yeah. they're doing a partnership with NVIDIA and how it's going to have – It's like this is actually the best sentence. <laughs> the Dimension 10 Studio will be built on technology foundation of NVIDIA certified systems with NVIDIA RTX GPUs to power Omniverse Enterprise comp- completed com- – Enterprise (laughs) complimented. I can't take the breath. There's no space to breathe in this. It's just all bananas. I don't know. I guess this makes Flowcast launching its own TV studio seem like I watched about half the first episode. Yeah. What did you think? I haven't finished it yet. I was just, yeah, exactly. That's where I'm at. Well, so it wasn't, so we're talking about the new Flowcast. What is it called? It's an online web series called PBC. My former employer decided to take a piece of their $110 million raise. Uh, recently, they raised $110 million and They're probably spending millions on this, this I'm show. a little confused it, even on the premise of this. She was at a big firm, and now she works for a startup? Is that she, the storyline? So it's not even a show about an accounting firm? It's a show about an accounting department in a startup. The uh, The main character, I forget her name, she's working in oh, So this is going for like, like, two things at once. <laughs> it's going for like startup jokes and the accounting department. Jokes. Yeah, yeah. Well, because, you know, I think it would have to be an accounting department in a startup to make for interesting TV at all, potentially, <laughs> right? I mean, that's my main criticism of this is like, there's a reason that we don't have TV shows about accounting. It doesn't make for great drama, not like cop shows or doctor shows, right? Or nurse shows or whatever, you know, hospital shows. Yeah, the joke now with the pandemic is that we uh, we now have more shows about doctors than actual doctors. But yeah, so I watched it and it's not bad. Like the production value is really great. I didn't laugh out loud though. It's very clearly a knockoff of The Office and they have, of course, like two actors from The Office on it. But I also didn't like The Office when I first saw it. Like the first time I, I, like the first episode or two of The Office that I watched, I was like, what is this? This is not funny. And then it grows on you. If it becomes that kind of show where the inside jokes get really hilarious, you know, then I could see it. But it wasn't bad. Like, I'm going to keep watching. I'm going to watch the rest of... The production quality is excellent. It's, it's not... It's not David and Blake with their webcams. No, it's... Around. It's real deal stuff, yeah. It's real stuff. And I'm, I'm excited that there's a show about accountants and, like, that we have a web series and it makes all the inside accounting jokes. And Peter Alinto, 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 I didn't take Becker, so, like, I'm out of... I don't know how to say his name, but he does a cameo in it. He's, like, the top instructor for them. Oh, I'll have my son watch it. My son probably has watched The Office seven times. So I'll have him. Have him watch it and tell us, like, does he get any of the jokes? That's what I want to know. Because that's where it has to cross the line, right? So if you want to check this out, go to YouTube and type in Flowcast, F-L-O-Q-A-S-T. The show is called PBC. And if you don't know what that means, you're not an accountant. And I'll report back to you next week. But David, I think we have to go because you said you have a hard stop. So this is it for this week. Before we do, where can people get in touch with you online? Um, I'm on all the socials at David Leary. I am at Blake T. Oliver. As always, David, it's a pleasure chatting with you about the latest in accounting and technology and whatever else we want to talk about every week. Well, before you go, don't forget to plug Earmark. Earmark CP. You could get CP credit for this. Listener, if you haven't heard it, you can now get continuing professional education credits for listening to this podcast episode. Go to earmarkcpe.com, download the mobile app, find the Cloud Accounting Podcast. And in a couple minutes, you can take a quick quiz and get an hour of CPE 
for the episodes you've already listened to. And is it true? I think I saw you tweet. Now 600 people have are now getting CPE credit using your app, listening to podcasts. So as of mid-January, we have 600 people signed up on the app. I don't know exactly how many of them have earned CPE, but it looks like... Well, they intend to. It's always intentions. They intend to. Well, I think we've had definitely more CPE hours issued than users so far. So that indicates on average, everybody has taken at least one course, which is really cool. And we're adding more. We've got 12 channels on the app. I'm adding like four more channels this week, I think. Channels meaning shows, podcasts, and YouTube channels. 12 authors and 24 hours of CPE. That's going up rapidly. By the time you hear that, that will be obsolete. So yeah, that's going to be the, the new, way, new way to earn CPE conveniently on the go in you know, the palm of your hand. That's it's really exciting. Watching the partners on this. It's just so cool because like the feedback has been amazing. Thank you, everyone. And did I mention it's completely free? We're going to have a subscription option eventually, but there will always be free CPE available. You'll always be able to get CPE for free for listening to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Except for the week when deadlines hit, and then you can raise it up. Surge pricing, right? You're to surge price the CPE. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we'll have end of the year specials for sure. That'll be the deal. All right, David. Wonderful. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. Hey, podcast listeners. It's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.